We'll turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7. We're going to talk about fire falling on sacrifice. That's the theme that the Lord has put on us for um, these 10 days of prayer. Fire falling on sacrifice. You know, prayer is always a call from God to go higher. But to go higher, the way is to go lower. You know, go low. Humble yourself. And that's the way we go higher in the Lord. So prayer is a means of humbling ourselves before the Lord. And I pray that you will receive this message with a right heart. And we will all humble ourselves before the Lord today. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 to 3. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. I just want to imagine how that looked like. Fire falling down from heaven. You know, we watch war movies where the bombs fall from the sky, the missiles. You know, but I don't think those can even compare with this. The fire of God falling down from heaven and just coming on that burnt sacrifice right in the midst of all the people that are assembled. What a glorious sight it would have been. But did you know that every time we pray with faith, with humility, fire also falls upon us? It's just that we don't see that fire, but it's the fire of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's what I want you to expect in your own life. That as you give your life as a sacrifice in prayer, in praise and thanksgiving, the fire of God will also fall on you. And when the fire of God falls, it's beautiful. It's not a fire that burns us to destruction. It's a fire that purifies us. It's a fire that transforms us. It's a fire that strengthens us. It's a fire that just causes us to be different from the way that we came. How many of you want the fire of God? Let me see your hands. Amen. Well, the fire of God falls on sacrifice. Sacrifice. Something is required of our faith, our obedience. And then the fire of God comes. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Well, today the temple is you. You are the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within you. So God wants to pour out His fire upon you and fill you with His glory. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. You can expect the same testimony. When the glory of God comes upon your life and you are touched and as you go home, the outraying of God's presence will cause even your own family members to fall down on their faces. Maybe not literally, but to acknowledge that surely God is working in your life. Surely there's something different in you. And they will say, God is good and His mercy endures forever. I heard a testimony yesterday about a brother who through our online services was so touched just in the month of May, that he began to have encounters with God in his bedroom, where he was taken up to heaven. He began to have encounters, not just once, twice, but a series of encounters over days. And this is someone who doesn't normally go to church. He's not a very, very spiritual guy in that sense that we understand of spirituality. And yet he began to have encounters. And after that, his life changed. 
He just repented in front of his whole family, asked forgiveness from everyone. And every Sunday, he was the first to be in front of the TV, watching our online services. Amen. That's what I mean, that when people will see that God's fire is coming upon you, they will say, God is good. And so the whole family began to testify, oh, God is so good, how he touched our brother. Hallelujah. That's one of the best testimonies of the gospel. Let's turn to another portion of scripture. First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 25 to 26. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place. That's the place where he wanted to build an altar and sacrifice because he had sinned before God and an angel of death was going through the entire country killing people because David had sinned. And so David knew that he had to bring a sacrifice to the Lord. So David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. See, God also wants us to repair the altar. Maybe during this pandemic, instead of the altar of prayer, we had the altar of fear. We were spending more time in fear than in prayer. God wants us to repair the altar of prayer. The altar of worship in our own personal lives. And in that altar is where we sacrifice. See, prayer is an altar. Prayer is an altar. The discipline of prayer is an altar. And on that altar, we bring our praise. And we praise God. On all that altar, we bring our thanksgiving. And we praise God. On that altar, we bring our prayers for the nations. And we lift it up to the Lord. And that's the fire that, and that's the place where God's fire falls. Fire always falls on sacrifice. Throughout the Bible, you will see that. Even in the New Testament, when God, Jesus told his apostles, disciples, go into the upper room and wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So for 10 days, they were there praying and waiting as a sacrifice. I'm sure Thomas wanted to go home. Peter wanted to go fishing. James and John wanted to go and cast out demons from people. But they had to wait. They had to submit. There had to be a living sacrifice there in obedience to Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them. Now I know that many of you want the Holy Spirit. You want the wisdom of God. You want the favor of God. You want the anointing of God. Yes or no? But it does require some sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice of obtaining forgiveness of sins. But you have to go to the place where God is showing up. Hallelujah. And that's the place of prayer. And David called on the Lord. And God answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offerings. God answers by fire. Our God is the God who answers by fire. How wonderful is that? The fire refers to the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it can come on you and drive away the depression. It can come upon you and burn away that sickness. 
It removes that hurt. It dissolves that bitterness in your heart. It dissolves that loneliness in your heart. And in the presence of God, when the Holy Spirit fills you, it's almost like your loneliness and the cares of this world. It melts away because the fire of God melts those things away. And it brings forth a faith that is refined like gold. Hallelujah. Now in the Old Testament, we saw that the saints would take the animals, the bullocks, the sheep, the ram, the turtle dove, the grain offering to the temple of God to offer a sacrifice. Well, in the New Testament, we don't do that. But yet there are sacrifices God wants even in the New Testament. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. See, we are redeemed from the law, redeemed from sin, so that today we are in the covenant of grace. But even in this covenant of grace, there are still sacrifices God requires from us. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants your sacrifice. Amen. First Peter 2 verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. All of us are a stone in this church. Faith Harvest Church is a stone in the church of Nagaland. The church of Nagaland is a stone in the church of India. We are all a part of one another. None of us are individuals by ourselves. Amen. Many young people will say today, well, I don't need to be part of a local church. I'm part of the body of Christ, the spiritual body of Christ. You don't know what you're talking about. The Bible says you are a stone. You are not just a church by yourself. You have to belong to a local church to experience the blessings of the church, the body of Christ. We must belong to a place. It is commanded of God. Hallelujah. So we are living stones being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Everyone says spiritual sacrifices. It's not physical sacrifices of goats and bulls. It is spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus told a Samaritan woman, you worship now in spirit and in truth. So we don't go to a physical temple like in Jerusalem. We don't go with physical sacrifice of bulls and goats and incense, but we bring a sacrifice in spirit and truth. That means from the heart. It's a sacrifice from the heart. Hallelujah. And that is still required. You must bring your sacrifices to the Lord even today. And only when the sacrifice comes, the fire of God will fall on your life. Amen. So what's the first sacrifice I want to talk about today? Only two I'm going to mention today. Number one, repentance. Repentance. And I want you to understand this well from the context of grace in the new covenant. Psalm 51 verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Even in the Old Testament, God said, even though I ask you for sacrifice of animals, I want more than that. He tells Israel, I want your heart. I don't just want the praise from your lips unless your heart is close to me. These people, they offer me sacrifice with the lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's what God criticizes in a sense. 
So the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. A broken heart is a repentant heart. In the Amplified Bible, this verse says, My only sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. Everyone say broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. In brackets, broken with sorrow for sin, thoroughly penitent. The word penitent means the action of feeling or showing sorrow and regret for having done something wrong or even for not having done what is right. So God wants sacrifice of repentance from us. And this is not the repentance for salvation. I'm talking about repentance continually in our walk with Jesus Christ. To repent means to turn back. That's what it literally means. In the Greek, the word metanoia means change your mind. But the biblical meaning of repentance is deeper and greater than just changing your mind. And we must understand this because I have taught you grace and maybe you have thought that in grace, God loves me anyway. The way I am, whatever I do, it'll be fine. It's not fine. See, repentance is more than saying sorry. More than feeling regret for something wrong you have done. Repentance is more than apologizing to God or even to the pastor. That is just the beginning. But sadly, most people stop there. They say, I'm sorry for I'm late. Next week, I'm sorry I'm late. Next day, I'm sorry I'm late. Every day, you're sorry you're late, but you never change anything in your schedule, in your decisions, to change the fact that you're always late. So if you're always saying sorry but not changing, you are not repenting. You are not repentant. That means you are not genuine. See, the biblical meaning of repentance, it means to turn back. To turn back to the beginning. It means a heart that is so broken for the wrongdoing or for not doing the right. So broken, not only for yourselves, but when you see someone, a brother, a sister, fallen into sin. When you are so broken that you see the church lukewarm. You're so broken that you see people in Afghanistan that are going through so much turmoil and pain. You're so broken for the other nations that it causes you to be contrite before God. That's what repentance means. A broken and a contrite heart. That's the sacrifice God loves. The Bible says it comes up as a sweet smelling aroma before God. It's beautiful before the Lord. And you will also discover in every revival in church history, it was always repentance that preceded revival. Repentance and then revival. Now don't look at repentance in a negative aspect where people are forcing you to confess your sin again and again and again and again and you feel like you're not forgiven so you have to confess again and people shame you to go and confess on the stage. We have made repentance so religiously negative that we have even gone away from the true meaning of the word repentance because of fear of how people will receive the word repentance. And the English dictionary also, it doesn't give the biblical meaning because the English dictionary says the feeling of sorrow or regret for something wrong you have done. But repentance is not a feeling. Amen. I thought it was a feeling. So the word repent has been received in a wrong way in the church. We look at repentance as heavy. It is, ah, 
You know, we see it as tormenting. It's like something that dampens our spirit. But the biblical meaning of repentance is it's beautiful. It's something so enjoyable. Hallelujah. See, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to the people in Jerusalem, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the fire of God. Amen. So repentance, what does it mean? It is more than regret. It's more than feeling sorry. It's more than being remorseful. The word repentance in Hebrew is the word teshuva. Everyone say teshuva. Teshuva. And it's a verb. Which means to return. To return. It's more than a feeling of guilt or regret. There was a time when after I gave my life to the Lord, I got drunk and I got so remorseful, so regretful that I decided I need to punish myself. That's what we think about the word repentance. I need to punish myself. And in some church traditions and cultures, people literally punish themselves with whipping or with fasting. We think that by fasting, I punish myself and God will be pleased by how sorry I am. We try to think thoughts of how bad we are. We tell God how terrible we are, how like a worm we are. And we try to manufacture those thoughts of negativity even towards ourselves, thinking that it's repentance. But that's not repentance. Amen. You see, teshuva means something completely different. It's not a state of mind. It's not a feeling. It's an action. Teshuva is an action. It is deciding to turn away from where you are going and go back to the place of the beginning. Go back to the place where you belong. That's what God wants from us continually. I'm not just talking about people who are just drunk in drugs, immorality. I'm talking about Christians. All of us need to repent continually of attitudes, of thoughts, Lifestyle, lethargy. Different areas of our lives where we may need to just come back to the original. Come back to the truth. Come back to the heart of God. For example, if your heart doesn't burn for souls, we need to repent. If you don't have a heart to preach the gospel to the lost, to the poor, the nations, we need to repent. Now, you're not doing something wrong. But you're not doing what is right either. You're not in the place of the original, which is the will of God, the heart of God, which He wants you to carry. Are you understanding? Amen. It means to completely turn back around physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It is more than just stopping a behavior. It's more than being sorry or apologizing. Okay, Ishmael Skorsh, a professor of Jewish history, says about this, wor- about this word, teshuva. It is not just a confession. To regret a misdeed or a sin is only a step 
in the process of teshuva. It's only a step. Saying sorry is only a step. But like I said, many of us just stop by saying sorry. We think by saying sorry is enough. We go back to the same friends. We go back to the same sin. We go back to the same atmosphere, the same culture, the same attitudes, the same thoughts, the same mindset. We go back. We just say sorry. And of course, sometimes we say sorry in the specific time of the year when we have revival meeting. But then we go back to the same lifestyle. That is not repentance. This historian says, the word repentance, Teshuvah means that it is a regret in the beginning, which is only a beginning of the process, but there are more steps to follow. More steps to follow, like destroying the bottle, like deleting the contacts, burning the bridges, changing your mindset, like coming back home like the prodigal son. He was already repentant when he was feeding the pigs. But if he just stayed in the place where he was feeding the pigs, sorry for the decision he made to leave the father's house, but never went back home, that was not repentance. The action of the son to walk back to the father's house, to walk back to the father, look the father in the eye and say, I am sorry. That is repentance. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. It means to rearrange your entire way of thinking, rearrange your entire way of feeling, rearrange your entire actions and thought processes and return back to the beginning. Return back to the beginning. So Teshua means returning to what is right and pure, returning to innocence, returning to the original plan of God, the heart of God. Does your heart break with what breaks God's heart? See, when we see corruption in our state, we should not be throwing the finger of judgment and anger. Rather, it should break our heart. That we call ourselves a Christian state, and yet so many of us are in this system of corruption. It should break our heart. That even if they don't confess, let's confess for their sake. Rather than becoming hard and mean towards them. Can you say Amen? Hallelujah. So Teshua means to turn around and face the one that you have wronged. It means begin a new path. Begin a new journey. And the good thing about repentance is that you can repent anytime, anywhere. It is never too late. The good thing is that we always repent through Jesus. We're always coming back through Jesus. It's not a repentance to be accepted. We're already accepted in Christ. See, the beauty of repentance, if you understand it from the biblical perspective, is like the prodigal son. He went back home to the place that already belonged to him. In Christ, we're already loved. In Christ, we're already accepted. In Christ... We are already forgiven. But because we forget that we are forgiven and loved, we go back into anger, into bitterness, into judgmentalism, and into sin. You see, the Bible says in Peter that the one who is lost in sin and unforgiveness and hatred and goes out into the world is because he has forgotten that he was forgiven of his sins. 
He has forgotten the grace of God. So if you are saying that I can do whatever I want and the grace of God is over my life, you are deceived. Because if the grace of God is on your life, you will not be struggling in that sin. You will not be so careless about your life. You will not be so careless about your decisions if you are truly under the grace of God. But if you say you're under the grace of God and you are just careless about your life and committing those sins, you are deceived. You are not under the grace of God. You don't understand the grace of God. You don't understand the teaching of grace. You're taking advantage of the goodness of God. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, repentance means because Jesus has already saved you, accepted you, there is a place that you belong. It's at the right hand of God, the place of favor and grace. Can you say amen? But you have left that place. But you can come back to that place by your faith, by your decision, from the heart. Through faith in Christ, we come back to the place that we belong. That's what repentance means. It is not about punishing yourselves to impress God. It's about coming back to the place that you belong. That Jesus has already paid for you. Hallelujah. When we see it from that perspective, repentance becomes one of the most beautiful experiences. Desirable experience. God's not asking you to repent to punish you. God's asking you to repent and come back because this is your house. This is your place. This is what I created you for. Holiness. This is what I made you for. Purity. Purity is where you belong. Don't say, I was born in sin, so sin is the only thing I know. No, you were born for purity. You were created for innocence. You were created to be sanctified. That's, that's who you are. That's, that's where you belong. Wherever you are right now, you are an imposter in that place. See, when we become genuine born-again Christians, you cannot even sin the way you want to, right? You want to go out and do all those things, but ah, your heart. So I'm saying, stop hanging around with those imposters. Come back to where you belong. Stop hanging out with the swine. Come back to the house where you are a prince. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. In 2 Kings, I believe it's 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. You can look at verse 24. You know, Elijah has this confrontation with the prophets of Baal. 450 of them, he's all alone. And he challenges them and says, why don't you bring your sacrifices, make an altar, put your sacrifices there and call on the name of your God. And I will call on the name of my God. And then he says, the God who answers by fire, he is the true God. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they do all the things, but nothing happens. And then when it's Elijah's turn, by the time of the evening sacrifice, he does what he needs to do. He puts the burnt sacrifice, pours water on it once, twice, thrice. And then he calls on the name of the Lord. And the Bible says the fire of God came from heaven 
and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the altar, consumed the water, licked up everything. The fire of God came on that sacrifice. Now, when you study the Bible, it's interesting to note that Solomon was offering burnt sacrifice. Elijah was offering burnt sacrifice. David was offering burnt sacrifice. And the fire of God came. So the second sacrifice I want us to offer to the Lord today is this. Consecration. Which is typified in the burnt sacrifice. Turn to Leviticus chapter 1. You know, to be always burning for God is beautiful. Don't you think so? To be always full of life, full of joy, full of the presence of God, full of prayer, full of faith, glory to God. You become an oasis of peace and security for people. You become the answer for so many people's discouragement and doubts because you're full of fire. And if you are always on fire, people will come to see you burn because in the spirit sense, we never get burnt out when we are burning with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Why do people get burnt out? They are serving God in their own flesh. It's beautiful to always be burning. Well, fire always falls on sacrifice. People who are always burning are people who are always a sacrifice. They are the sacrifice. Can you say amen? So in order to be always burning, always be a sacrifice. Yesterday I said in the prayer meeting, you know, a lot of Christians come to the church expecting the church will just do something that will cause you to be on fire again. You go home and complain the church was dry, the service was dead. Hey, you have to bring your own wood. Did you know that? You have to bring your own wood to the service. Amen. We need to bring your own fire. And together we join all our faith together and we experience a bonfire here. Which is the greater blessing of the corporate worship. But when you go back home, take your own wood back home. And keep the burning of the fire there in your family time, in your own faith. But when you come to church, bring your wood again. Don't blame the church if you are dry. Amen. Look in the mirror. Hallelujah. We have to be the sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 1 in verse 3. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And if we read all the way to verse 17, it describes how the burnt offering is supposed to be kept. Let's read some of the verses. Verse 4, He shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Okay? Look at verse 8. Then the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order on the wood. Verse 9. He shall wash his entrails, that means the insides, and his legs with water. The priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice. In other words, four parts. 
the sacrifice is supposed to be cut into four parts. Now look at verse 17. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Leviticus describes five offerings. The burnt sacrifice, the sin sacrifice, the guilt sacrifice, the peace sacrifice or the offering, and the grain offering. All these five are types of what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. All five of them speak of Jesus' sacrifice, different aspects of his redemptive work for us. Amen. But look at the order. If I was writing the Bible with my human reasoning, I would first say, first the sin offering, right? First pay for your sins, then the guilt offering. Then after that, the burnt sacrifice. But in the biblical order, the burnt sacrifice is first. Why? I don't think it is there by mistake. The Holy Spirit is very deliberate in choosing the right words, in choosing the right order because there is a lesson for us here. And it has great significance for us. And I saw that only when I was preparing this. The Holy Spirit just lit a light. See, this offering, the burnt sacrifice, it speaks of the Lord Jesus presenting himself wholly to God. The burnt sacrifice is the only sacrifice where the priests and the offerer does not partake. That means it is completely given to God. So this is a symbol of Jesus who gave himself completely to God first. Amen. Follow with me. When did that happen? Luke chapter 22. Look at verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about the stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is what we call the prayer of consecration. Even before Jesus died on the cross, he offered himself in Leviticus 1.3 says, of his own free will. Jesus offered himself of his own free will to the purpose of God. Not my will, but your will be done. This is what the Holy Spirit said. Came even before the cross. The cross is where we see the sin offering, the guilt offering. And you say, Amen. Hallelujah. See, the burnt offering aspect of Jesus Christ is the basis, it is the foundation of all of Christ's redemptive work. Without Jesus completely giving himself to the Father, there could be no sacrifice on the cross. There is no forgiveness on the cross. So we have to look at it from divine perspective. God's logic. Our logic is first sin sacrifice, then progress. But God's logic is no. First, give yourself wholly to God. Amen. 
And that was fundamental to all the other sacrifices for Jesus that we see here in Leviticus. So even for your own life. You see, the burnt sacrifice, even though Jesus is the burnt sacrifice, everything that Jesus is, is also examples for us to follow, to model. Jesus is the ideal that we must follow. So as Jesus gave himself fully to God, even though Jesus is our sacrifice, it doesn't exempt us from us also giving ourselves wholly to God. Amen. Even with the grace of God, the acceptance of God, that there is no condemnation of God, we are not exempted from giving ourselves wholly to God our life as a sacrifice. And that comes before the blessing. It comes before God giving you direction about His plans for your life. But we want first the plans. We want first the blessing. And then I will give myself wholly to you. You got the order wrong. I've seen so many Christians say, Pastor, I don't know what Doors are not opening. I don't know what God wants me to do in my life. But yet if you talk to them, you can discern that they are not consecrated to God. They are not ready to follow God completely. They want God to bless their choice, to bless their decisions, to bless their purpose. And they use God as a means to their end. That means they are not consecrated. They've never come to the place from the heart. Not their mouth, from the heart, but Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was willing to go through the suffering during the cup of obedience and wrath that God put upon him because of our sins. He was willing. That means to go higher, he had to go low. To fulfill God's purposes, he had to consecrate. Even for you and me, to fulfill God's purpose. And God's purpose is not only preaching and, and missions and, and spiritual things. Even as an engineer, as a politician, as a businessman, as a leader in our state, as a creator, as a media and arts guy in ministry, whatever. God's purpose for you is to shine and to be an influencer according to His will and purpose, right? But for you to go there, you have to go down. And the down thing is called consecration. Not my will, but your will be done. But very few Christians, I've noticed, are willing to do that, to say that. Because they have this fear that Jesus wants to just suck you out of all the joy that you will go through in life. He just wants to take and take and take from you and not give everything to you. And because you've heard all these testimonies, Sabina, You see, don't let the examples of serving God be what you have seen and experienced in society. It must be the word. Can you say amen? It must be the word of God. So we are afraid to give ourselves wholly to God. We are afraid, we think that God will ask you to do what I don't want to do. We think that God's will is only, oh, only when I really want to do it, when it's really exciting and nice, I will do God's will. You know that God's blessings are always through the road of obedience. Obedience is always tough. Lord, bless me. Bless me, Lord. All right. God says, I want to bless you. 
give two lakhs to the church. Ah! Too hard, right? Oh, you're only blessed? All right, go and spend two days in the prayer house. It's not earning. It's called consecration. Every increase I've experienced financially in my life has come through the sacrifice of giving. Giving and giving and giving as a cultivated discipline, as a cultivated sacrifice. And guess what? The fire of God always falls on what I give. And when God's fire falls on your giving, it doesn't consume your resources, it multiplies. It's called consecration. There are four distinctive characteristics here we see in Leviticus chapter 1, which represents Christ's in his different aspects of giving himself completely to God. Number one, the Bible says it's a sweet savor to God. The burnt offering is a sweet savor to God. So it is not given because of sin. We are always too sin conscious. Repentance, we are too sin conscious. We don't repent only because of sin. You repent because you are not who you are supposed to be. Amen. I'm talking about your behavior, talking about your character. You come back to the beginning. Not only for the evil that you may have done, but also for the good that you have not done. Hallelujah. So it's a sweet savor to God. That means it's given not because of sin, but out of sincere and heartfelt devotion to God. It's the giving of yourself completely. The Hebrew word for burnt offering means to ascend. Go up in smoke before the Lord. Soothing aroma to the Lord. God would love to see your consecration today. Even just the decision. It's the beginning. But God would love to see it. It's not what you do. It's about the decision you make here about your own self. Number two. It is offered for acceptance in the place of the offerer. So of course... You know, you lay hands. That animal, of course, here represents Christ. We are accepted because of Christ. Accepted because of Jesus' complete and perfect obedience. Hallelujah. But it doesn't exempt us from the fact that we also have to offer our lives to the Lord. Number three. A life is given. The animal laid down the life for the offerer's sake. That means it represents complete devotion in every area. The life was laid down. Number four, it was completely burned up, which represents complete and total devotion that is accepted by God. God wants to use all of you for His purpose. You will never be a loser to be used by God. You will be blessed in ways that you cannot even imagine. The head, there were four different parts, right? The animal was cut into four distinct parts, each representing different aspects of Christ's character and life. The head represents his thoughts. Your thoughts need to be consecrated. The legs represent his walk. Your walk needs to be consecrated. Don't walk to the wrong place. Amen. Your walk, where are you walking? 
Where are the soles of your feet trading upon? The playground of the enemy? Come to church, dance before God. Go out and then, where are your feet trading upon? Amen. The innards representing your feelings, your passions, your desires. Uh, and the fat. The fat in the Bible always represents the best. The most treasured portion was the fat. Now let us understand the fat. What does the fat represent? It represents the best of your life. The best of your strength. The best of your youth. The best of your intelligence. The best of your talent. Who does it go to? I thought, before I really came to the revelation of Christ, I would enjoy my life. I will do whatever I want, sin however I want, do everything wrong. And then just before I die, I will accept Jesus Christ and I will die. That's what I thought. How many of you thought like that too? That is what I thought for the most of my growing up years. I wanted to just experience love and joy. Just before I die, I'll accept Jesus Christ. But then one day I realized... No one can tell when they're going to die. We don't live in the future. We live here. I cannot decide that in 2029, on Friday morning, 5th of September, I will accept Jesus Christ. Can any one of you decide that? No one. Because you don't live in the future. You live only in the present. So the only time that you can accept Christ is today. The only time you can consecrate is today. Hallelujah. The Christian is called for consecration. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at a couple of scriptures in the New Testament about consecration. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You are light. See, the way God calls us to consecration is to tell us you are holy. You are pure. You are a priesthood. So now live as priests. You are light in the Lord. You are children of God. Now walk as children of God. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Have no fellowship with works of darkness. Have no fellowship with sin. Have no fellowship with bitterness. Have no fellowship with gossip. Have no fellowship with carnality. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So it's not only your thoughts. It's not only your feelings. Oh, I want to serve God. Oh, I have good thoughts towards God. I want to be holy. But your body is doing something the opposite of what your heart is saying. Your body. And, your heart. and the body comes before the spirit here mentioned because sometimes even though your heart may not feel it, if you will just do it, your heart will follow. Your feelings will follow. Your insights will follow. 
Amen. Glorify God in your body. That means the choices that you make, what you eat, what you see, what you hear, what are you touching, who are you hanging out with, whose hand are you holding? Ah. Yeah, I've seen people who are so deceived. They want to serve God, but their boyfriends are all people who are not at all interested in serving God. So you're having fellowship with the children of the devil. They're not born again. So if you're not born again, the Bible says you are children of the devil. So you want to serve God, but you want to also want to hold the hand of the devil's son. Now, I don't say that to condemn them. I'm just highlighting the point so that your eyes will open up. There's no such thing as dating for missions. But it's so, you know, I've seen so many Christian girls say those things and fall into sin. God's calling you to purity, even in your relationships. Amen. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I implore. Paul is saying, I am urging you by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do something with your body. Consecrate it. Keep it on the altar. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You must do things with your body in order to be consecrated to God. That's why fasting is beneficial for you. Because you are learning to curb your appetites. That's why kneeling down and praying at times is good for you. You're learning to tell your body to do what the body does not want to do. That's why standing up and praising God is good for you. Even when you are feeling tired, sometimes just do it. Why? Because you have to do something that is sacrificial even in the acts of the body. That means coming to church. Amen. Enduring a two-hour sermon at times. Amen. Your body as a sacrifice. Sitting down, opening up the Bible. Doing things that you don't want to do, but you do do it. And in that place of sacrifice, the grace of God meets you. The fire of God meets you. And because you do something with your body, disciplines, 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 disciplines. Even though you may be struggling with alcohol, tobacco, whatever. Just committing to those disciplines. You're presenting yourself to God. The grace of God will work. The grace of God will work. The grace of God will work. And you will notice that you are being transformed from inside. There's a brother who got delivered from alcohol in our church. And I remember for many years, he would come to church still drunk. Red nose, smelling. But he kept on coming every Sunday. Every Sunday he came. We never rejected him. We never said, don't come smelling like that. We just welcomed him. He was always in the back. And every time we gave altar call, he would come. He would just come. We'd lay hands upon him. He would go back. Next week, he would come back still smelling. We'd just lay hands upon him. We are just trusting that, hey, I cannot change him. He cannot change himself. But we can present ourselves. And I can lay my hands. But God is working. 
God is working. We don't know how, when, but God is working. And one day, bam, he just got delivered. Stop drinking. Still free. Amen. The grace of God will work. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. See, being present is so important. The teacher gives a roll call. Present, sir. Present, sir. Just being present in the class, there's benefit. God wants you to present your bodies as instruments of righteousness. Just volunteer to do good things. You don't have to feel spiritual. You don't have to think that you are a leader, you're called anointed. Just present yourself to do things that are volunteering even in the kingdom of God. Present yourself to usher. Present yourself to be a part of the media team. Present yourself to serve God someplace, to do good. When your hands are doing good, it has no time to do bad. See, an evil mind is the devil's workshop. An idle mind, I'm sorry. So when your time is always empty, it always goes to the lowest. That means your mind and your feelings always find things to do which is not good. If all your time is empty and blank. So present yourself to good causes, good projects. And the grace of God will transform you in that process. See, one of the most powerful and important prayers I've prayed ever in my life is this, that Jesus prayed, not my will, O Lord, but your will be done in my life. I prayed that prayer so many times, especially when I was young in the Lord. I did not know what God had for my future, but I knew that He wanted all of me. And thankfully, I had read great books of great men and women of God who also prayed that prayer in the beginning of the journey. They did not know where, how God was going to use them, whether God was even going to use them, but they just wanted to give themselves completely and said, Lord, I am the clay, you are the potter, do whatever you want for my life. They laid down their lives before the Lord and after that, God began to open up the doors where strangers would come to the house, talk about the Bible school, and then they would go to the Bible school, and one thing would lead to another. Or then God would come and give them revelation about their calling, where God was guiding them. Consecration precedes direction. We want direction before we consecrate because we think it's multiple choice question answer before God. God giving you choice. One, two, three, four. Where do you want to go? And you want to choose, right? Bam. Wrong. There's no multiple choice with God. Amen. Even before you go through the door, God says, are you willing? Before this door opens, no matter where it opens to, are you willing? Wherever Whatever, whomever. Wherever God wants to take you, follow. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you. After you follow me, I will do what I need to do with your life. So even before the door opens... Outside the door, God asks you, 
Are you willing to lay down all your rights? Your rights to your own life. Your self-will. And choose to obey God wholeheartedly. Today we're going to pray the prayer of repentance and consecration. Because I believe these two seem into one another beautifully. And if I give the call right now, I'm giving a call to you. Not to your friend who's next to you. Or the people at the back. Stop thinking, did that brother come? I wish he came. This message was just right for him. Now this message is for you. When we respond to God, we are going to all respond. Beginning from me, the pastors, the leaders, and all of us. I think all of us need to repent. Not that we are living sinning lives, but maybe our heart is not in the place where it should be. The place of love, the place of devotion, the place of obedience, the place of passion for souls. See, our heart needs to break with the same things that break the heart of Jesus. Does your heart break when you see the poor? Repentance is about the heart. Consecration is about a holy, devoted life to God. See, the heart is so important when it, to, to break because that is when the clay becomes soft. The heart. The sacrifices of God are broken in a contrite heart. When the heart comes before the Lord in simple obedience to repent to consecrate and the spirit of God begins to work and you begin to cry out before the Lord and the heart begins to break. The clay is being moistened. The clay is being prepared. The clay is malleable, easily shaped. Then God can make you. Get, God can make something beautiful out of you. A beautiful vessel that God can use in his house as a vessel of honor. But some of us are too brittle. Too brittle. Our pride holds us back. See, even altar calls, one of our sisters got healed last Sunday. One of our leaders got healed of an ear problem, could not hear from one of the ears for many days, frustrated. The Holy Spirit just gave her a simple instruction. Go and receive prayer from the altar call. She's a leader. She's like, I can pray myself. I can use my own faith. Go and receive prayer in simple obedience and humility. She came to the front. She received prayer. The next morning she woke up. She was completely healed. Simple acts of obedience. Opened the door to great blessings. Hallelujah. Come, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Hallelujah. Just let the Holy Spirit whisper in your own heart, shine His light upon your heart. If you are in a place in your walk with God where you know you need to repent, either from sin, wrong choices, wrong friendships, wrong relationship. 
and you need to return to the place that God has for you. Would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.